Hi, it's Joe, and welcome to this week's episode of Greater Manchester Business Stories. I'm not going to say much by the way of introduction because today's episode is about chocolate. So I don't need to sell it to you, do I really? But if I need to give you any more convincing, it's not just about chocolate. It's about a game-changing vegan chocolate brand from Greater Manchester that is absolutely smashing it at the moment. Uh, The reality is that this episode is about a lot more than chocolate. It's about finding your purpose. It's about being open to trying new things. And then what it's like to hit upon something that really works. And then how do you go about maximizing that opportunity that you've created for yourself? Today's guest, Rimi Fapper, who co-founded Love Roll with her husband, Manav, is another of the amazing female founders and leaders we're lucky to have in Greater Manchester right now. So a big thank you to Rimi for joining us to share her story today. Hey, welcome to this week's Greater Manchester Business Stories. And I'm going to start with a terrible pun, which is today we're going to get to indulge in the story of a Greater Manchester business that I think I'm right in saying is now the fastest growing vegan chocolate brand in the UK. And um, our guest today, co-founder of Love Raw, Remy Fapper. Um, you can correct me. Am I, is, is that a correct statistic, Remy? Yes. Yes, it is. Very proudly to say. Um, yes. Brilliant. Well, look, what a great start. Well, I, I, I guess that the point of this conversation is obviously uh, if people haven't heard of Love Raw already, I know that they will have done in the next kind of 12, 18 months because the brand is kind of absolutely going gangbusters at the moment, working with all huge number of kind of big customers across the UK and beyond. So really excited to tell the story. And we like to kind of kick off by understanding people's links to Greater Manchester and, and how they came to set up the business in the area. So I think I'm right. You're, you're not originally from Greater Manchester, but but have found yourself way here, your, your way here eventually. Yeah, yeah. Um, my husband, Manav, he's originally from Manchester, born and bred. You met Manav at um, university, I think? Um, yeah, through a friend at university. Um, and when I just finished, actually, so he was, he was actually moving to Spain and I was moving to London and we kind of both went our separate ways. But then um, about a year later, we kind of um, got back in contact. And and then when we got married, he was still in Spain and I was in London. So it was almost like, OK, do you move back to the UK or do I move to Spain? So I moved to Spain and I was there for about five years. And then when I was pregnant with my daughter and we were at very kind of crucial crossroads of the business as well it was like do we stay here in Spain and just kind of run this as a lifestyle lifestyle business or do we move back to the UK and it was always a case of we move back to Manchester yeah yeah okay and so when, when did you move back to Manchester then was that in 2015 yeah 2015 uh, and what were you doing prior to setting up Love Raw? I I graduated in economics and um, followed the route of going uh, for a, a graduate scheme in uh, with a with an investment bank and then I was working as a hedge fund marketeer um, for for a UK well no well for an international investment bank yeah at their UK office okay and so then you you what what how did you get led astray into the world of food and drink then. A bit of a long story, um, but I'll I'll try and keep it brief. Um, 
my well when I moved to Spain it was almost like well what what do I do where and, and we're in Andalusia so you know where there's there's no scope for investment banking there there's Gibraltar and they have a private banking jurisdiction so it's almost like I, I went to a couple of interviews there and but it wasn't really what I wanted to to, to continue in so Manev was out in Spain um he has a, a textile distribution business um kind of uh, serving you know the Costa del Sol and France and Portugal so I thought I'd help him doing that but um my heart really wasn't in it but I wasn't in a great place because my father had just passed away as well he had a brain hemorrhage so I I wasn't in a great place I think it was just the fact I'd, I'd moved to a new country and I didn't really know many people and I, and I just experienced a bereavement so I was in a in a in a place where I'd, I just needed to kind of find myself and what made me feel a lot better was going to farmers markets um, you know, and, and they were beautiful out in Spain, you know, they're out in the, you know, in, you know, in the rural, rural kind of towns and villages in a different place each week. So that kind of led me to eating fresh produce and feeling better and eating better and really understanding kind of the dynamic of, you know, food and the body. So that's when I started making kind of healthy premium snacks at home, because when I went out and bought snacks they would be misleading it would say healthy but then when you kind of got into the ingredients list you know it wouldn't be and it's very subjective as well so I thought I'm going to start making snacks and I did so for my family and friends and they were like this is incredible you know you should take this to market and I was watching this program one Saturday morning and you know it was a, a, about someone who had done just that and I thought well I can do that too I'm, I'm going to take this to market and and this is what I want to do I want to share this you know with consumers so so that's how we kind of started and came about but then it was too bureaucratic to start in Spain it was like you need this certification and that's going to cost five thousand and your the the premises has to be a door in and door out it it, it was it was there was too much red tape mm. and then we thought, well, why not move back to the UK? You know, the UK is very supportive, um, especially for kind of cottage industries and setting up at home. I can do it so much easier. But that was a big decision because I'm leaving Manov in Spain. Um, he had to say he's got his business. So, you know, at that point, we didn't have children. We didn't have that responsibility. So I thought, you know, we, I, if I'm determined and passionate to make this work, I'm going to move back to the UK, which I did. And I landed in Altrincham, Manchester. Yeah. Um, so set up the business at home. And within three weeks, I got certification from the Trafford Council. Yeah. I had the Soil Association um, organic certification body come and certify me at home. And that's it. I was, I was ready to go. Oh, and so, all right. So you started making producing yourself then um, yeah yeah out of out of but it was your in-laws was it in in Altrincham yeah so in their house and I initially because with being organic certified you have to keep everything separate so rather than being in the kitchen 
um, we built um, just a dry kind of uh, a, a, a room within the garage, as weird yeah. as it sounds, yeah. um, just to keep everything self-contained. Yeah. So, and it was so small. It was like the size of a utility. Yeah. So as you can imagine, the size of a garage and then having a room within a garage. And, but that's what got me my certification. I had my cupboards, I had my sink. And then that's it. I was, I was kind of ready to go. And, and then initially I thought, I'm just going to, you know, I was, I just wanted to get out there in, you know, stores and cafes. And I thought, I'm going to just supply the local Ultringham High Street and just ask cafes whether they'd be interested in taking, you know, the products on. And I had a friend that was around maybe a couple of weeks before I started making. And he said, well, who would be your ideal retailer? And I said, oh, well, it has to be Whole Foods. And he was like, well, why not just go straight to Whole Foods? And I was like, I can't do that. I haven't even <laughs> started making and it's not out in the market. And then after it just stayed on my mind. Well, and then I thought, well, why not? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get in contact with Whole Foods. I emailed the buyer and he was like, Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, we have a process for this. You know, just email us and we'll come back to you. And then just me and being impatient, um, I was like, Well, I don't want to email, I don't want to wait to get a response. Yeah. So I made a sample of the product, made sample packaging, put everything in a Tupperware, got into a train to London. And, you know, because initially he was like, yeah, we don't take meetings. But I found out where the head office was. It's around the corner from the Whole Foods store in, in, in Kensington and got past a couple of receptions saying, yes, I've got a meeting, signed <laughs> it. And they said, oh, you're here to see, you know, the buyer. I was like, yeah. And then they were like, OK, we'll go get him for you. And then at that point, my like palms started to get sweaty. I thought, oh, you know what? I don't have a meeting and he's going to know that he told me. <laughs> that they don't take meetings but <laughs> luckily he was from Spain yeah so I was like I've just come back from Spain like five years I was like babbling 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 and I was like yeah I was like, you're you're from Spain and I was like sh- showing him my really rubbish Spanish and then I was like well I've got these products just you know and seeing as I'm here I was like give them to you and he took them and he tasted them and he was like yeah they're not bad they're a bit dry um but I'll take them and I was like okay they're dry so I went back reformulated them a little bit and then sent them some more samples to him and a couple of weeks later he was like look really love it really love what you're doing and we're going to order 500 and I was like 500 bars okay I was like great and he was like no 500 cases and and then and then that's it it was like yeah. oh my god what do I do now um <laughs> I was called my mom I was like my mom my mom's in the midlands yeah so I was like come and help me so we were there, you know, with our hairnets, our aprons, our like our blender, and, and that's it. I was hand making, hand sealing, had pallets and tons of ingredients coming down, like they couldn't even get down like near the, the driveway. So I'd be having HGV lorries come, you know, to a residential road and then taking boxes. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Fair play, though. I mean, I you know, I'd worked in. I, we've obviously my wife and I run a food and drink business, kind of similarly to yourselves and, and, and Mana. But um, I, I didn't have the balls to break through reception at Whole Foods and get my product in front of customers to begin with. I definitely kind of stuck to process a little bit more because it's uh, you're, you're always worried about it going the wrong way. But I guess what have you got to lose? And and, and yeah. I guess it's shown that by by doing that, by kind of 
being willing to get get in their face a little bit what what can come from it um, and that's what I always think I always think what's the worst that can happen yeah yeah and I didn't always I didn't always think that way that I think that's a lot come from Marnev because yeah. you know initially when you know we we'd taken risks with the business and he always says what's the worst that can happen and we kind of play we go through it play by play and you're like okay well if this happens at least you know what to expect yeah and I think I think another thing that's really lovely about your story is a lot of people start food and drink businesses or food and drink brands come into existence and they're kind of created by a committee that people by people that have never spent a day in a factory and don't really kind of understand the you know the products that they're selling into customers whereas you, yeah. you started the business by by making it you get that 500 case order that's you and your mom it sounds like and anyone else that you could rope in kind of turning oh, it yeah. around so you've got that kind of affinity with with the whole process of kind of where the food comes from how it gets produced what yeah. standards you need to do that within to, to meet a retail like Whole Foods. I know I know things get different as businesses start to scale, but it but it's um it's great to hear that kind of it was and, and you you know and that it was like having traceability and having batch numbers and having you know dates and, and things like that. And it was all it was all done by hand. It was all manual. Yeah. And those original product ranges were quite different from the Love Raw range that's in the market today. So are you happy just to talk us through those kind of the original range, yeah. The first customers, and then how the how the proposition started to evolve over the next kind of three four years. Yeah, so we we came into the market with the the superfood raw cold press bars, which were fantastic. You know, I think it was just the backstory, and you know, it was quite a rustic looking product, and you know, it was premium. So I think that what contributed. To the success of of that, but just to rewind slightly, I started out at home. But by I think month six or seven, I met the minimum order quantities where I could go to a contract manufacturer. Yeah. Um, but then you know I, I was very careful with the partner that I selected because I wanted to, you know, retain the integrity of the product that we started with at home. Yeah. So. I had an opportunity about 12 months later to move back to Spain and, and that's what I did. So I was traveling back and forth from, from the UK to Spain um, with the business. So after a while, you know, with the, with, the, with the bar market, the barriers to entry are low. So, you know, after that initial success, there became a lot more bars coming onto the market. And yeah. I think there was a trend around then for cold press bars as well so after a while we about a couple of years into it we we felt it became a little bit commoditized yeah so there were you know other bars coming onto the market which were cheaper and that was taking our market share yeah which was which was fine we carried on selling them but then we also looked at other gaps in the market um you know we looked at superfood powders as well so we launched kind of different blends of superfood powders yeah. and these were the powders that were contained into the bars and then we launched um almond drinks ready to drink almond drinks um in three different flavors and at that point you know we, we got into Sainsbury's with the drinks as well but then we really reached a point as to you know what are we actually doing what you know, what category are we leading in and who are we mm. as a brand and what are we offering? So 
it was almost like okay we we do bars and we do the blends and we do the drinks um and and some of those categories were declining you know especially the superfoods and the bars um and then we had a fourth category so and this one i was really passionate about it was entering the indulgent vegan chocolate market yeah and it was specifically a buttercup a chocolate buttercup that i wanted to create so i found a partner to work with and we we bought that into the market at, in 2018 yeah so we launched and and that was it it was we had such a successful launch with the chocolate buttercups i mean our retailer our biggest retailer back then was whole foods yeah. And even though they're not national and they have six or seven stores, you know, within London, you can have, you know, a, a pretty kind of high rate of sale um, yeah. and, and a pretty good kind of turnover just with Whole Foods. Yeah. So and we and we sold 12,000 units in our first week of launching <laughs> really? with Whole Foods. Yeah. Um, and that just kind of shows you um, and, and that was phenomenal even for them yeah so it was really clear to us from the get-go that this is it yeah. this is the category for us this is what we need to focus on this is what is is going to kind of really I, I guess transition the business from what it what it was yeah. so we made a hard decision to kind of delist the rest of the the product ranges and that was a gradual thing it was over a few months at first it was the the, the superfood powders and then it was the bars and then yep. it it was the drinks and we were just like we're just going to focus on chocolates yeah yeah well i think a, a lot of businesses do have to make tough decisions like that not every not every startup story is a straight a straight line to success and i think you a lot of people kind of believe that from the outside because you, you you see these kind of proof points of businesses that they launch day one, it catches fire and it takes off. A lot of businesses go through this kind of evolution of of the product range, finding the products that kind of work. I guess, you know, if you look at if you look at category data in the UK, I think chocolate's the number two snack in the UK. I'm yeah. sure superfood bars are much, much further down that list. But like you say, the barrier to entry is super low. That you know, it 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 is a tough category. So yeah, you can positively impact more people by taking on a category like confectionery, can't you? As long as you are executing in a way that's different, with great product, with a with a great brand, and I think that's what you guys, you know, did really, really well as well. As the same time as you were moving into indulgence, I think you, you did quite a big kind of refresh of the brand, didn't you, to kind of support that yeah. move? Can you talk us through that? Having set on that, that's the category we're going to go after. How you then kind of went about executing the brand and in, in the way that's kind of set up the success that's followed over the last three years or so yeah I mean just to go back slightly what you were touching on you know with chocolate being kind of the, the second most popular snack when when I did come up with the product you know I never looked at category data no yeah and, and in, in theory that's what you should do look at what's popular and go for that but it was this kind of innate kind of um innovation from myself that I thought I, I just want to create this there's nothing in yeah. the market and this is what I want to create and also going back into raw kind of cold press bars it's within a different category it's it's wellness and as much as 
products in this category try and say we are competing with chocolate it never tastes as good yeah it, yeah you know they say oh we're we're a healthy snacking treat and we tick all the boxes of tasting good and every time you taste it it was like okay i, I don't feel like i'm eating a treat i feel like i'm eating something yeah that's good for me yeah and it was almost like trying to achieve that balance and what i've discovered is that it's not possible yeah. It's not possible to have something that's really indulgent, but that's really good for you. Yeah. So, so it, it, it was that, and that's, you know, and also it was, we had a lot of um, mixed messaging and maybe, um, you know, too much information trying to kind of come across. And we just really simplified the messaging of what our product was and it we just focused on vegan you know it's not saying oh it's this free that free this many calories it was like it's just vegan so I feel like healthy is such a subjective term that you can't really dictate to the consumer what healthy is they will they will kind of decide for themselves um you know what what's healthy and and, and and what's not so leaving that to them okay you you became the vegan chocolate but unvegan vegans i think if i'm like coining the phrase right you still use that in the yeah. business is that the way yeah that you we do we do because yeah. it's almost like we when we launched the wafers it was it was like we had a lot of consumers and feedback saying well this does not taste vegan yeah. like you can't believe this is vegan and it was it was it was like that <laughs> Um, can't believe it's vegan that's one of our taglines as well um, and you know we're the we're the chocolate for unvegan vegans because it's just great tasting chocolate and we always say chocolate first vegan second it just a great tasting chocolate that just so happens to be vegan um so sorry going back to your original <laughs> question as well so going kind of going into it so we had we had the buttercups and you know they were an amazing successful kind of first product into this category and then we launched the the cream filled wafers and it was almost like we've launched we've launched the buttercups which is almost like a heritage uh, um, a vegan take on a heritage favorite so what else could we do which is a vegan take on a heritage favorite so so then then that that was we did look at the category data at that point and we thought okay what's popular what do people like so it was a wafer chocolate yeah and it took us a while to to create that product and to find the right partner yeah. um but i feel like that was in the end we executed that really well yeah um it's it's our hero product still even even today yeah and that that really kind of blew out blew the buttercups out of the waters as well it, it yeah. kind of just over overtook sales for the buttercups um and then yeah so we launched kind of various uh flavors of the wafers yeah and then we launched our milk chop bars um which um we it, it's a kind of just um single kind of flavor of uh, we had the milk chocolate original and then we had salted caramel um, and then we had peanut but then again we have reformulated these bars because you know there were a few things that weren't working so we wanted to improve on these and we've just recently 
launched kind of our better tasting yeah. um, milk chop bars and we've altered the flavors as well. So we have um, a, a milk original and we have a chocolate orange and we have a caramel. So we've taken the learnings of, you know, the, 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 the what we've learned, what didn't work with kind of the, the original um, uh, skews and kind of improved it upon kind of what we have now. And same again with the buttercups, we feel like the wafers kind of really raised the bar. Yeah, yeah. So we had the buttercups and, and they were kind of the best performing. And then we had the buttercups trailing behind and the milk chop bars. So it was almost like, well, we need to bring those other two products on par with the wafers. Um, so that's so that's what we've we've done. We've reformulated the milk chop bars and more recently the buttercups. Yeah. Um, and and we'll send you some as some products. <laughs> Taste them for yourself. Um, but I feel like they are on par now with the wafers. Yeah, I've not tried the reformulation. I've tried the wafers and the um the previous iteration of the buttercup. So um that that would be intriguing to see. Yeah, they taste milkier. So yeah. what we had, the feedback was that the chocolate tastes dark. And it's always a challenge. I think the biggest challenge within vegan chocolate is a making it taste premium, like it not tasting like advent advent chocolate. Um and yeah. the second is you know, dark chocolate is vegan by default, but to create a vegan milk chocolate is the trickiest part. Yeah. So we felt like oat milk was the best way to achieve that. Yeah. So I, I know that there's a few variants of oat milk onto the market, but it 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 really works. Yeah, well it's cool. Well, I mean it, you know, it's great that you guys aren't kind of resting on your laurels, your you know, particularly when you've seen, uh, you know, it's certainly seen from the outside, like the kind of the cream wafer bar was like the product that took you guys next level. And I tried it and, and it's, it's it, you would not think it's a vegan product exactly as you say. And I guess all the feedback you get is just, it's a really fun, delicious, indulgent, but light. It kind of, it just nails the brief completely, doesn't it? And then taking that as inspiration to say, right, everything we do, we're going to just keep evolving it towards those, that standard, I think is, it is brilliant um and i guess you've got this through those hero products you've kind of got a real audience and kind of following around the love raw brand now that's seeing it start to pop up in more and more places one thing i found quite interesting because you guys are you can be quite edgy on social media i guess some of the stuff that you've done more recently is like two fingers up to big chocolate i think or kind of along those lines and, and having a lot of fun with the brand yeah. how do you um that how do you kind of tread the line when you're trying to be edgier and kind of um aggregate in a in a category like this because because you know brands done it with kind of huge success and obviously you guys are doing a brilliant job with it but it must be something like do you have to like stay very close around it work really hard on the marketing and the comms plans to kind of nail it against the kind of love raw values yeah thing is our branding has also evolved um you know as with our products so you know we in the early days we did what we could with what we had so we used um you know freelance designers and you know maybe a vision of what we had what we thought was right but I'm you know I'm not a branding or a marketing expert so you know when we had the resources to we took on a creative agency to try and help us you know with our branding which um we did with the wafers you know we've got kind of the characters which kind of gives it 
kind of humanizes the brand a little bit. Yeah. Where it's got a picture of me and Manav. And I like that. I like that our branding has, you know, a bit of a personality uh, to it. And that's what's really worked for us and stuck. Yeah. And, you know, in order of our tone of voice, even, even that's evolved. But I feel like the tone of voice that we have now is really true to the brand. Yeah. And it's it's almost like you don't want to be too controversial, um, but you do want to speak up for what you believe in yeah. and as a brand. And the challenges of what we've had, you know, to gain listings and and as you say, you know, it's it, in such a popular category, we are up against um you know chocolate giants that have been around for years decades yeah how do you compete with that how do you compete with the millions of pounds that they have you know to gain their market share their marketing their listings so and we call them big chalk <laughs> so you know that is you know and, and and that's what we're essentially trying to do we feel like you know we're a vegan chocolate and and again where should we be located you know and maybe a lot of buyers would place us in free from yeah but we're like well we're in an indulgent vegan chocolate we should be with the impulse range and we should be with those heritage chocolate brands um because i feel that that's what we're on kind of the same level as um, you know, but we've still got challenges with that, you know, with pricing and, you know, yeah. with the disparity between heritage chocolate pricing and, and ours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we do feel like that, that that's who is kind of a direct competitor. And what best way do we have to voice our concerns? And these, these, this is on social. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the best way to kind of try and get what we want to say out there and get our opinion across and 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 maybe get support from the consumers as well. Brilliant. Yeah, well, look at this. It's, it's brave. It's inspiring. It's it's wicked to see it kind of capturing people's attention. Um, I'm conscious of time. So I, I, I guess one of the things I was interested in is the fact that in the last two years, a lot of businesses have seen kind of COVID land and that created a lot of challenges. That seems to coincide with you guys just absolutely smashing it from the outside and certainly kind of hitting the ground running as we've come out of lockdown. I, I mean. Can you just talk through the last couple of years and, and where you've you've been able to build distribution and how you've kind of managed COVID in that period of time whilst running a brand that's been, it feels like from the outside, kind of in in really rapid growth despite all those kind of challenges that are out there in the market? Yeah, I'd say um when when COVID first hit, you know, as with any business, there was a lot of uncertainty. And with us, there was kind of a downturn. Yeah. Um, so we had kind of a, a huge kind of uh, downturn in our kind of rate of sale in our stores. Yeah. And, you know, where consumers were just shopping in, you know, the supermarkets, grocery, you know, we didn't have grocery listings. Yeah. So I think the only place that we were in with grocery at that point was Waitrose and that was with the Buttercups. Yeah. Um, we were kind of also in the process of um, launching our kind of wafers as well and the new wafer flavors. 
So we had to kind of change a lot of things within the business. And that was a, our distribution, you know, our distribution points, you know, where are, where are consumers shopping now? So that seemed to be in grocery, but then even then within grocery, our product, we pushed for it to be an impulse and like a point of sale product where you pick up last minute. However, consumers had shopping lists and they were just one, you know, just getting in the grocery store doing their shopping list and then going out they don't have an opportunity to shop impulsively so that's again where we suffered um and we found that more consumers were shopping in convenience so maybe at their local co-op or their budgeons or their petrol station forecourt which didn't have the queues of um you know uh, the big four yeah so it took about six to eight months and we targeted more convenience channels Yeah, and it was timing as well because we'd just taken on um, a a salesperson um, that um, was experienced in convenience as well sales channels so um, so then we were um, retailed in petrol station forecourts and more convenience such as you know Londis and Spa and um uh, budgets, uh, but then we also received um, a grocery listing with ASDA, yeah, as well. And this was kind of all over COVID. So, and then our biggest channel became direct to consumer. As with everybody during COVID, you know, they wanted to get onto you know direct to consumer. Um, it was really competitive, though, because, you know, with with social ads and, you know, um, Google search and, and things is it, it's, it's what we had to invest in. So it was like who shouts loudest and, you know, but we, we we had a great product as well. We had the wafers. So it was just getting getting out there. So, you know, by the end of, you know, the lockdowns direct to consumer was our biggest kind of sales channel yeah um but that was timing as well because it, it was it was good because that allowed us to get our branding out there allowed us to get our product out there to be t- tasted so it, it 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 i think it was it was just timing and, and and turning kind of the business around yeah that period and it was not easy by no means yeah you know you know have three children and well at that at that point I had two but you know looking after the children homeschooling and then trying to work outside of that so yeah it was a really tricky period but it it benefited us yeah I mean it it seems like you guys have benefited I, I think not just from the fact that like through COVID you didn't kind of bury your heads in the sand you went and explored those other sales channels and then as everything starts to open back up, you've got direct to consumer, you're talking direct to direct to your audience, which has kind of built that loyalty, particularly as you expand the range. But you've also unlocked those other more impulsive, more convenience channels. And maybe if COVID hadn't happened, that might not have been as, as high up the kind of priority list. But um it, it wasn't because the things that we had, our direct to consumer wasn't in our strategy until yeah. you know a couple of years later. We had to bring forward our strategy that we had in place um you know bring it forward you know at least by two years yeah and you know had we not done what we did 
who knows if we'd be around today. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like you say, you can't rest on your laurels. It's, you know, it's our business that we've spent, you know, six, seven years building and, you know, you're not willing to kind of throw that away or no. take any risks and you have to put in the hard work. Yeah. So what's a, just to give it an order of magnitude versus kind of March 2020 going into COVID or, you know, the, I guess the the beginning of the the refresh of the brand and launch a new range is kind of how big is the team, how big is the kind of revenue run rate now versus 24 months ago? Um, oh gosh, you know, it, over that lockdown period, I feel like everything has just merged into one because <laughs> I've had my third child as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, over, over that period I was pregnant. So Team Fappa is bigger by one. That's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, bigger by <laughs> one. Um, at 2020, I think, you know, we were 10. Um, we're a team of 18 now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's you know, and, and we've just been working on, you know, new product development and, and reformulating and also listings. So since then, we've um, launched with Asda. We've um, launched more SKUs into Waitrose. And we've just been getting out there into more convenience channels with retail. But as you, as you know, food service, there was no scope for food service over the lockdown period. But that is kind of looking to, um, to pick up now. So, yeah, I mean, it's exciting to see the growth of the business from the outside it's exciting to see all these kind of new listings popping up as well so hopefully there's many many more of them um you you mentioned a team of 18 now kind of what does it mean to you and i guess i guess to to manov as well as he's from greater manchester originally to be kind of building the business in greater manchester was that ever a decision that was debated or looked at or that that you think about with a with a view to the future it was um it, it was always like we'd we'd move back. We didn't. We know that at like for like and co- competitive businesses were in London, and that's you know the hub of kind of FMCG, especially within our industry. Um, but when we did move back, I we were growing a family, so it was a it, it was a choice that we made to come back because it was just far more of a better balance being here in in Manchester than it would have been in London. Yeah. And it's almost like you have to make things convenience, convenient to you, you know, whereas now our home and work and nursery and schools are within like five minute radius of each other. Yeah. You know, in London, that wouldn't be the case. And, you know, you'd spend probably far more time commuting and be far more expensive. So it was it it was a no brainer to yeah. definitely come back to Manchester. Yeah. And, and do you find it... Um easy within food and drink to kind of you mentioned the growth of the team to kind of recruit the people and the talent that you want do you feel like that kind of pool of resources there in greater manchester or are you having to kind of create it i feel like initially it 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 wasn't um it was really hard to find um employees especially within the fmcg world but i feel like that maybe wasn't it was hard to find employees. It was the size of our business. So yes. maybe when we were quite small, maybe we weren't attractive, maybe yeah. to employees, you know, who are love raw, yeah. um, haven't really heard of them within the FMCG world. Yeah. But since we've kind of set, scaled and got out there and, and grown as a business, you know, 
and within the FMCG world, I feel like, um, you know, we've built up kind of a brand and a reputation. Um, and it's, it's really nice to know that people want to work for us and, and that's where it's become more obvious that, you know, there's definitely a, a pool of talent and there was always a pool of talent here. It was just getting the business to the right place where we attracted those type of employees. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's, there's not going to be, you know, the same amount of experience that's in London, but I feel like up north, there's there's some kind of pretty F- good FMCG companies that are here um, too. You know, don't know if I can mention them, but yeah, there's there's quite a few kind of big ones. You know that we've we've had quite a few kind of great employees come from. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they've bought that kind of experience, and and um, yeah, I, I feel like we're a great company to work for. I enjoy coming to work. Good. Good. Well, as long as you enjoy getting to work, I think that's an important thing, isn't it? But I, I think there's a lot of people that will work in bigger companies that will have that experience, but God, they'll love the fun of working for a smaller, a smaller, not small upstart brand like Love Roar in, a, in the category like you guys are. I think it's um it's yeah. a it's a great brief to take on, isn't it, as a salesperson, as a marketeer, as a product developer to kind of to be part of something. Um yeah. but it's so important. It's it's you know, it you have your goals and your strategy that you have set out, you know, for the next few years. But sometimes you can become so fixated on that, you know, you don't look at the, you know, getting there. But I feel like getting there and the journey to that is so important. Yeah. And creating that culture and and that working culture as well. Yeah. You, you know, you should enjoy the journey and 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 the team culture and yeah. I think we finally kind of got to a good place with that now. It's never simple, is it? I don't think it's probably the hardest, hardest bit of the growing a company. I think many founders that we've had on have said is, is is the team side of things and building the team and getting that kind of right for you and right for for employees as well. Uh, well look, thank, thanks for sharing the story, Remy. It's um, it's it's certainly been an exciting journey to kind of find out about. And to, like I say, to see from the outside, I'm a, I'm a food and drink startup geek, and I the stories I love the most are the ones where brands just kind of catch fire and they nail that kind of perfect product or perfect kind of category positioning. And you guys are definitely a really, really exciting example of that. And being based in Greater Manchester is even more of a bonus. Hey, um, now we'd like to wrap up by asking people to give a shout out to any, uh, well, three, three businesses in Greater Manchester that they, that they'd like to give a shout out to small or large. So it can be the local coffee shop through to kind of, uh, a, a tech unicorn or something like that. Are there any businesses that you look up to or, or you kind of interact with that you, you've uh, got a soft spot for? Um, you know, I'd say within Manchester, it's mainly food again. Um, I, I think I mentioned them earlier, but the the Vietnamese, um, the vegan Vietnamese place, yeah. uh, Ban Mai, they have a little um, store within Altringham Market, but they also had a pop-up in campus. Yeah um within manchester but they're they're fantastic really good food and i I love the guy that runs it his name's harry he's really kind of passionate about what he does um there's also another local cafe here called blanche flower okay and their food is really good they make everything from scratch they make like fresh sourdough um really enjoy eating there as you can tell i enjoy eating and the last one, I think I mentioned it as well earlier. It was the 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 tea blend, the chai blend company called Aura Chai. Yeah. Um, and you know, she's she's a, a food, well, a drink startup. And um she's kind of 
supplies all the kind of local cafes here and even beyond it in London but she's done kind of amazing from kind of where she started and I feel like it's a, a really fantastic product because I don't drink coffee and yeah Indian I do love a good chai yeah <laughs> fantastic and uh we do have this kind of slightly more light-hearted question which is if you could steal something from another city around the world and bring it to Greater Manchester is there is there anything that you think that Greater Manchester is lacking Oh my god! I don't know if you have this all the time, but the weather. Yeah. Like yeah. seriously, the weather. Well, you're bathed in sunlight as we're doing this interview. Actually, it looks like. I know. You found it's the so nice. Though. It's so <laughs> nice. I'm, I'm not even blocking it because I'm just enjoying like absorbing the sun. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, I mentioned we used to live in Spain, and that's the one thing that I loved living in Spain. It was just warm, and you know, it, well, mostly in the summer, but even in the winter, it was just sunny yeah it doesn't matter if it's cold it's just sun so i think if manchester was had you know the the heat of malaga and you know i think it would make it perfect okay well look we'll get it on andy burnham's to-do list and uh see what we can do (laughs) (laughs) brilliant thanks for sharing thanks for sharing the story remy and like i say i've loved following the love source love raw story over the last couple of years and seeing seeing how the business evolved and where you guys are heading. I think, you know, super proud as a Greater Manchester resident to see you guys shaking up a really big category that needs a bit of a shake. Um, if people haven't, for some bizarre reason, come across Love Raw previously and not had a chance to pride our products, where would you point them to to go and find out more about the business and follow the journey? You can follow us on social. So on Instagram, um love raw so we're also on twitter and if you want to follow kind of more kind of uh, behind the scenes and 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 the business side of things on linkedin so yeah. we have love raw but then you can follow um manav manav thapa or myself rimi thapa on linkedin um to kind of delve into kind of what's going on day to day as well fantastic brilliant i'm sure they will do well look, thank you again for your time Um, thank you it's super busy at the moment so really really appreciate you sharing the story no i've really enjoyed it thank you joe greater manchester business stories is produced and presented by joe taylor of real handful the special guest was rimi fapa of love raw You can find out more about Real Handful by visiting realhandful.com and you can see more from Love Raw at eatloveraw.com. Audio production was by me, Andy Blackaby-Isles, and you can see more from me at abientertainment.co.uk.